Well, you guys, uh, some of you are probably familiar with a famous comedian named Jeff Foxworthy. He's kind of been well known for, uh, you might be a redneck if jokes. And so my understanding is that he's actually performed in the state of Kansas a few times. And I was on a website that showed that he had actually traded some of the redneck jokes for you might live in Kansas if jokes. And so I'm just going to start with a couple of those this morning. I can use these because, you know, I am from Kansas. So uh, it's really about me, too. So here's the first one. If you're proud that your region makes the national news at least 96 times each year because it's the hottest or coldest spot in the nation, you might live in Kansas. They get better, okay? If you install security lights on your house and garage and leave both unlocked, you might live in Kansas. I've talked to people that are in that kind of situation. Okay, if you switch from heat to AC in the same day and back again, you might live in Kansas. We're in that time period. I think it's about a 45-degree difference today. It's going to get pretty warm. If you know several people who have hit a deer more than once, you might live in Kansas. Anybody hit a deer more than once? Okay. Yeah, I see a bunch. All right. And then finally, if you see people wearing camouflage at social events, including weddings, you might live in Kansas. I've performed a wedding where people were wearing camouflage to the wedding. Okay. It's still, yeah, it's still good. Well, Jesus, in this passage, he gives six woe statements to the Pharisees and to the experts of the law. And basically what he's saying is if these woe statements define your faith practice, you might just be a legalist, which is not funny. So the statements he was making to the Pharisees and the, and the experts in the law, they were not kind statements. They were rebukes. They were confrontive statements. We're in the midst of a series, Meals with the Master. We're looking at times in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus sits down and has a meal and, and what those encounters look like. And what do we learn about Jesus? Or what are we learning about God? Or what are we learning about his disciples or about the world? And in the midst of this one, this is a kind of a tough meal. Because in the midst of this meal, I've entitled it, you know, Dinner with Jesus with a Side of Rebuke. Not so easy to go down when you receive a rebuke. Have you ever walked out of a restroom, like in a public place, and, and there's toilet paper trailing behind you, or ever had an, ex- an embarrassing experience, something like that before, in which you kind of don't even know if something's going on, but everybody, you walk out, and everybody's kind of looking at you, laughing or smiling, and finally somebody comes up to you and confronts you with the truth of whatever the embarrassing situation was, what was wrong. Well, sometimes we have deeper problems that take courage for somebody to confront us with. And that's kind of what's going on in this passage with Jesus and the Pharisees and the leaders of the law. They had a deep problem. And uh, Jesus was going to confront them with what the issue was. It was too important. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, they, they had let their religion get in the way of a true relationship with God. These people got so wrapped up in their little man-made rules that, that they lost their love, their true love and their passion for God. Jesus was always getting in trouble with these guys through his whole ministry. Uh, He got in trouble that very event because he didn't wash his hands the way that they had prescribed in one of their rules, that you're supposed to ceremoniously clean your hands. Now, this thing wasn't coming from Scripture. This was just something that they had developed as a tradition to honor God according to what Scripture said. And so they were a little bit perturbed that he didn't do the little rule that they wanted him to do. They were so focused on their religion that they could not even recognize who Jesus was. Chuck Swindoll is a famous Christian author, also a pastor 
He wrote this. He said, there's a little Pharisee in all of us. Harmful though it is, we find a lot of security in our iron bars and solid walls. Tragically, this ball and chain mentality keeps us from giving ourselves in fresh, innovative ways to others. We fall into the trap, the same trap sometimes as well. I've come across believers who know all the rules, who, who know all the right things to say, but, but along the way they've lost their faith and, and their love for Jesus. They traded their love for Jesus for guarding the rules more than the rules that probably don't mean as much to them about loving Jesus. In our text today, we see the marks of a Pharisee, and I want us to look at these marks and, and really decide if we're hooked on rules or are we hooked into a relationship with Jesus. See, both of these groups, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were well-meaning lay leaders in the, in the religious uh, faith of Judaism. Uh, they were highly educated people, but something happened in their journey. They fell into kind of a legalistic faith tradition. And it can happen to us, too, if we're not careful about it. Paul writes about this. Uh, he said that the purpose of the law was not to make us righteous, but to show us our need for a Savior. And that's something that the Pharisees and the, the legal experts got a little mixed up. And, and so they got it so mixed up, in fact, that because they were so focused on the rules that came out of the law, they missed the very Savior that was eating a meal with them. They missed him. Sometimes we start out wanting to serve God and, and doing it with a pure heart, but then at some point we fail. And, and in our human minds, we might think, well, well what did I do? Where did I go? How did, how did I fail? I better work on that area until I get it right and I don't fail anymore, and then God will be happy with me. But that's a false kind of a spirituality. That's not a healthy spirituality if that's our practice. You see, our practice really is to just engage with the living God in a relationship with Him and knowing that His unconditional love accepts us, receives us, wants to engage us. It's not about the rules. It's about a relationship. And so there's four areas I want us to look at that that Jesus basically rebukes these religious leaders and, uh, and, and he really takes them to task. The first is that he felt they were too focused on an outward righteousness with too little energy to care for their heart condition. The Pharisees, they were extremely careful to follow all the rules, all the rituals, which included the habit of cleaning dishes and, and washing before eating. Again, that's what got Jesus in trouble. He didn't do what they wanted him to do, the ritual that they had created to honor God. And, and I think Jesus did it for a reason. I don't think he did it because he didn't know what he was supposed to do. I think he did it because he knew he wanted to cause a little bit of trouble and cause them to think this isn't really what it's about to follow God. They thought that if they showed their devotion to God through these kinds of acts, but, but it made them dependent on external performance instead of the internal realities of their heart condition. In fact, they were just as wicked and dirty spiritually as anyone else on the inside. That's what Jesus was saying. He, he calls them fools in the passage because they're blinded. They think their pathway of spirituality is the right and the true and the healthy way, but Jesus is saying, no, you've got it mixed up. In fact, you're not only causing problems for yourself, you're causing problems for all the people that you're teaching about what healthy spirituality is all about. They were also very stingy when it came to giving, either to God or the poor, and Jesus was basically saying to them, if you had God's character, you would show how clean your heart was by giving, by giving like his heart would give. So what's the danger for us? You know, there can be points that we can focus like the Pharisees on the externals and not enough on the internal 
how do we become like them, you know, and avoid that? It's actually pretty easy to get into that trap. When the outside trappings of our Christian walk become our Christian walk, then we're in danger of becoming a dirty cup on the inside, a, a vessel that's not clean. You know, we don't do any of the outward things that maybe we did in our B.C. days, our before Christ days. Uh, some of us came to Christ later in life, and we can remember some of those behaviors or those characteristics. We, now we dress a lot better, we smell a lot better, we act all pious, maybe we don't cuss anymore or not very much anymore. We can carry a Bible around. Maybe we know the Christian words or the Christian language. Yet if we don't attend, attend to our inward transformation journey that God desires, if we don't focus on that once we accept Christ as our Savior, then we can tend to shine a little bit on the outside, make it look really good on the outside, but the inside, the inside is a little rotted. It's not good. It's not healthy. So worse if that's our condition, if that's kind of how we're living our spiritual walk with Christ, then, then eventually what's on the inside will leak out in some not healthy ways to the outside. It's especially difficult when an unbeliever comes in contact and we do things or we say things that are not really reflective of the Lord's character. Then we endanger other people who may be seeking God and desiring to know what, who is God and what is it like to live with Him and for Him. So we, how do we combat that? tendency or that behavior well i think scripture points regularly that we're to 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 do a regular interior checkup uh, what i would describe as a brutal moral uh, assessment and to invite god to do that of us and with us to allow his word to speak to us and to allow him to do that assessment that inspection david writes in psalm 139 he says search me god know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David's saying, hey, God, I want you to look and see what's going on in the interior. You know, and if there are things that are not representing you well, I want you to transform those things. Lead me in the way everlasting. And, and what happens, I think, when we do that sometimes is that you know, I, I could be a guy who likes to make to-do lists and, and kind of fill my to-do list out. If I do that moral inventory and allow God to assess me and I see some areas, I can do a checklist and say, oh, I've got to do this and this and this and this better. But I'm not so sure that's the right attitude. I think if we're really going to experience transformation instead of making the to-do list, I think we're probably better off just going to the Lord in prayer in prayer, and just being authentic with Him and just saying, God, I, I have some areas that don't honor you. Can you help me? Can you transform me? Can, can you make my character more like yours? You know, the, to pray those characteristics that we find in the Bible, just simply go to Galatians 5.22 and, and pray the fruit of the Spirit and ask God, Hey, God, give me those characteristics that are of your children. I want to be like you. So the first thing is that the Pharisees were too focused on the outward. They weren't paying attention to what was going on in the interior. But also, I think that Jesus is getting to this issue of that legalists can major on the minors and ignore the major relational requirements that God asks of his followers. You know, sometimes as Christians, boy, we can focus on some things that are somewhat trivial to the detriment of the important. There was no law that required the tithing of the cooking spices that he was speaking of. Tithing isn't bad. Jesus doesn't condemn it at all, even in small amounts. But the Pharisees were paying, paying so much attention to the, to the made-up tithe rule that they just didn't have time for the other things. 
some fairly important things like justice and loving God. They intentionally overlooked the part of the law that required them to have compassion on the poor and to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. In other words, the Pharisees, they interpreted the law to justify their own beliefs. The part of the law, however, that, that they were willing, unwilling to abide by, they simply overlooked that or didn't pay attention to it. Once again, that can be a problem for us in our own day. People can pick and choose what they want to believe about the Bible or either ignore or try to explain away the rest. How do we identify if we struggle with that characteristic that the Pharisees did? How do we combat it if we see that maybe that we do have struggles with it? Well, one is, I would say, is to know your Bible well. To, to spend time in God's Word and to know Him through His Word. It's amazing how, how many things people think come from Scripture that don't really come from Scripture. The second thing that I would encourage us is to think and to act like Jesus, not trying to pin Him down into some kind of code about following rules, but simply, you know, who is Jesus and what's Jesus' character and how can I act and think like Him? The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So what are the major relational requirements that God asks of us? Well, Jesus said it's very simply this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It's very simple to be, it's just love God. And love others. That's the major relational requirements. He goes on to a third rebuke. He basically says that the Pharisees are too interested in seeking the attention of others instead of serving them. The best seats in the synagogue would would have been up front where the the, the Torah scrolls were at. And they actually were seats that faced the rest of the congregation. And that's where the Pharisees and the experts in the law would often sit. In fact, Jewish custom of the day would be, uh, before or after the service, uh, they would, uh, those who were less educated would have to come and greet those who were more educated. And so the Pharisees, the scribes would have had people coming to them and greeting them. And it was kind of like a, a system of honor and order. It's a basic human nature to want to be noticed for our spirituality. We, we're tickled when people pay attention and they honor us or they praise us for what they see that we're doing. And, and you know, our whole popular culture is kind of built around this, this cult of fame. It's about popularity. It's about position. It's about priority. And we can get wrapped up in that in our own faith journey sometimes. But Jesus came teaching something entirely different. In Mark 10, he says, You know that those who, regard, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea of a servant leader is is somewhat popular in Christian circles. We probably are familiar with that to some extent. But it's actually pretty easy to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees. Or even the disciples, they struggle with that as well. The, the goal of worship is to put God first and to, to put others first and to serve others. You know, but the American church, sometimes we struggle. We struggle a lot, I think, with consumerism. 
you know, this idea that we want to come to worship and have our needs met, to be fed. And that's not bad. I mean, it's good to be fed by God's Word and to be fed by what's going on. But if all we're doing is being fed and we're not using that or allowing that to be used to transform us and to help us to engage in the mission of God, then we really are mixed up. We're kind of got things not in the right priority. Do we see our call as disciples as a call to serve others? Are we really more interested in being served ourselves, in being comfortable, in being fed? The Pharisees were not the only ones, again, who struggled with position or priority. The disciples themselves, they wrestled with this very concept. Like we had different segments we can see in Scripture where these guys didn't get it. They didn't understand it either. In fact, there's the one occasion they're on the road from one ministry place to another, and they begin to argue and bicker about who's going to be first in the kingdom of God. Do you remember that passage? They're arguing about that. And finally, one of them, or they come to Jesus, and they're like, okay, Jesus, help us out. Who's going to be first in the kingdom of God? It's kind of like Jesus is going, oh, gosh, guys, I've been with you for a couple of years, and we're back here asking these questions? Really? Haven't you heard me talk about the kingdom of God? The first shall be last. The last shall be first. In this very instance, he replied, he said, You know what, guys, unless you are like this little child, he picked the little child up and said, Unless you're like this little child, unless you humble yourself, get rid of your pride, humble yourself like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Pride is not a godly virtue. It's not a kingdom virtue. And boy, don't we at times... Struggle with pride? And there's times I've got to work with that. I've got to wrestle with that. You know, I think about times that I go to meetings uh, with our denomination where you gather with other people from different areas of the country or just even Christian conferences or gatherings. And you have this conversation. Eventually, sometimes people will find out I'm a pastor. And one of the questions they want to ask is about the church that I serve at. You know, one of the very first questions that always comes out how many people go to your church? And I want to go, oh, first of all, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. Second of all, is that really what God wants us to ask about our churches? How many people go to our church? I really think that's not the heart of God. I think God would rather us ask questions like, hey, tell me about how God is at work in the midst of your congregation. How's God showing up? How do you see God at work? How is God bringing transformation, real-life transformation, in the lives of people who worship at church? Those are the questions I think God's more interested in. So God is so much more interested in character development than our performance or our position or the numbers. He's about transformation. And so now he's, given it, he's really given it to the, to the Pharisees. He's given them three woes, three rebukes, and now he turns to the scribes, these legal experts of the law, and he, and he gives them three woes as well. And I just kind of summarize them, boil it down to the, that their legalism was blocking people from the knowledge of the truth of scriptures. The experts in the law, they created hundreds and hundreds of extra regulations to clarify the law. So even just for the Sabbath law, they'd added rules on how far you could walk and Uh, what kind of knot you could tie and you couldn't tie on Sabbath. And then they created hypocritical rules that said you can't heal on Sabbath, but you can rescue a trapped animal. And through all this, they created this maze of conflicting regulations that were destined to make just the average person fail in their quest to obey God. They themselves found ways around their own regulations that they created. 
You see, the scribes, their whole intent was to know the law of God inside and out. And that's a good thing, right? But their goal should have been to know the law so that they could teach the people about the nature and the character of God so that the people could worship and live in relationship with God. And yet what they were doing was creating obstacles for people to worship, for people to be in relationship with God. The, expert in, the experts in the law, they believed that they possessed the key of knowledge of the truth of God. But in fact, they were an obstacle to the people to know the truth. There can be no greater rebuke of a teacher than to hold the key of truth and become an obstacle to those who are trying to learn. Jesus was really angry with these guys. He's not happy about what they're doing. I've heard it said one time that he who creates the rules rules the system. And this is known simply as legalism. Pleasing God through your own efforts to obey an external set of regulations, of laws and rules, whether they're good or whether they're silly. It's a problem when the law becomes more important than a relationship with the Lord. When the rule becomes more important than our relationship with God. That's a problem. We've got those two things mixed up. The goal is to be transformed into the likeness of God. The likeness of Christ. And we start that by being given a new nature when we give our life to Christ uh, and we allow Him to be our Lord and Savior. And we move towards transformation by allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell us and change us, literally, from the inside out. See, these guys had an opposite view. They thought if they would live perfectly from the outside that God would make the inside good. They didn't get it. They were missing the mark. The, the scribes, again, they obsessed about obeying God's rules to the detriment of having a vibrant love for God. And it's not as much about the rules as it is about a good relationship with God. The relationship comes first, not the rules. Obeying the rules, which is a good thing, comes out of, flows out of, a good relationship, a healthy relationship with the living God. Don't think that, that, a li- that keeping the rules by themselves will mean that you're going to have a vibrant relationship with God. Let me explain it this way. When I was growing up, I feel like I was raised in a fairly healthy, uh, encouraging home. Uh, my parents uh, loved me. I never doubted that. They met my needs. They went far beyond meeting my needs. So I always knew they loved me, never really doubted that. I generally re- liked and re- respected my parents. I thought that they wanted the best for me. Um, we had a pretty healthy parent-child relationship. We had rules in our family. I think most healthy families have rules. And, and you know, it's things like, hey, clean your room and uh, don't be late for dinner. And if you're going to go somewhere else other than where you told us you were going to go, you need to call us and let us know where you're going and what time you're going to be home. You, you know, those kind of rules. Those are good rules, right? And when I think about my parents, I don't think about the family rules. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. In fact, it, it's way down the list. I would never think about rules Initially, when I think about my parents, I think about a healthy, loving relationship, a love for my parents, a respect for my parents. I I was a fairly compliant child. Now, I did make some mistakes. I did break a few rules. But, but, you know, for the most part, uh, I respected them. And, And because I loved and respected them, I thought that the rules that they had for me were probably in my own best interest. And so, you know, I wanted to obey their rules because I loved them and respected them. And I thought those were for my long-term benefit. That's what I think that God means when, he, when Jesus tells us, hey, here's the greatest commandment. 
It's simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. That's the foundation of our relationship. It's, if we truly love God, then we will not struggle with obedience. The goal is to have an active, vibrant, ongoing relationship where God has access to you and you come into His presence often in worship and in prayer and in meditation. Paul says this about this a little bit later in Galatians chapter 5. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. There's that vibrant, healthy relationship with the Spirit of God. Walk with the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the obedience that comes out of that healthy relationship with the Spirit of God. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. And he goes on later on, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Here's what comes out of that good relationship with the Spirit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, there's that healthy daily walk with the Spirit of God. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The response, the obedience comes out of that relationship. So what do we take away from this kind of difficult passage, this place where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of his day? What's there for us to consider? First thing I think is that Jesus wants us to fight the tendency to live our spiritual life externally while the interior may be rotting. Jesus is saying, I want you to do a regular self-examination with me and in my word. I want you to regularly come to me and let's explore what's going on. He also wants us to fight uh, focusing on the small things while missing the big values of God. So we're called to know Jesus well and to look for God's values to follow rather than making it our faith about a, a code of rules. And then to fight the tendency for seeking the attention of others. But rather, if we're in a good place with God, our, our motivation will be to seek to serve others first rather than to be served and finally to fight legalism concentrating first on knowing god make that our priority to know god and to make it about a healthy relationship with the living god and then we will find obedience will follow naturally let me pray heavenly father we thank you for your word god we thank you that jesus he came to break down the barriers he came to challenge our wrong thinking God, we thank you for in this passage, he, he really addresses some important issues. And God, we recognize that if we look closely, we can see a little bit of the Pharisees in, in each of our lives or our attitudes and knowing that's not your heart. It's not how you want us to live. So God, we ask, give us the strength to do that internal assessment with you and by you. And then God, when we see something that's not right, then to take that to you and ask you to to do that hard work of transformation. God, we're thankful that you love us unconditionally, that you promise us that you're at work in our lives bringing about that transformation into the likeness of Christ. You're actually creating us, you tell us, as your masterpieces. God, we thank you that you're at work in our world, in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.